Well, we're uh, looking at the life of Moses, and uh, we're asking God to sort of mentor us, if you will, grow our relationship with himself uh, through uh, studying the life of Moses. And we've seen that Moses basically spent the first third of his life learning. And I think he learned uh, from his biological parents, uh, he learned about the kingdom of God. And he probably learned the oral traditions that were passed down from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth. And he learned that from his uh, biological parents. And then, uh, you know, he was adopted by the princess. And so he probably learned from her uh, about the kingdom of this world. And he learned about the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian uh, worldview and the Egyptian uh, worship and so forth of their gods and, and so on. And so the first third of his life, he basically uh, uh, learned uh, both from his, uh, his uh, biological parents and his adoptive parents. And then we saw there was a, a defining moment that came into Moses' life where he had to decide I saw an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew, and he had to decide uh, whether or not he was going to identify with uh, his Hebrew roots and fulfill God's purpose for his life, which according to Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, he already knew at this time that God was going to use him to deliver the people of Israel. <clears throat> or was he going to decide to identify with uh, his uh, worldly uh, family, if you will. And um, the Bible says, you know, identify with the fleeting pleasures of this world. And, and you know what he did. He uh, killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand. But the results of his choosing the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this world caused him to be misunderstood. His own people didn't understand what he was doing, and they rejected him because it turned up the heat on them because the Egyptians got mad and you know, made them work harder and so forth. And so they were against him. And the kingdom of this world was uh, totally against him. Pharaoh uh, was out to kill him. And so the next third of his life, Moses, he basically spent in the desert, just kind of wandering around. And uh, in the course of his time in the desert, he uh, acquired a wife and he had a couple of kids, a couple of uh, sons uh, were born to him. He got a job from his father-in-law. And the Bible says in Exodus 2.21, that Moses was content. The next third of his life, uh, you know, just kind of wandering around in the desert, but he got to be in a place where the Bible describes him as content. And, um, you know, we, we learn uh, as we go forward here a little bit that, you know what, Moses never circumcised his son. And um, in, in um, Genesis 17, when God gave circumcision as a sign of the covenant between God and his people. God was very serious about it. And when Moses failed to circumcise his son, uh, we read that God was out to kill him. God was going to scrap the whole plan because Moses, uh, you know, I, I think, and it's just my speculation, but it seems to me like Moses just sort of forgot who he really was uh, while he was wandering around in the desert and uh, just forgot and, and just didn't bother uh, to kind of make uh, God first in his life. And so God's out to kill him uh, on the way, uh, you know. And um, uh, Zipporah, his wife, circumcises their son and God spares his life. Now, this is the third woman that spared Moses' life, right? First was his mom, who was supposed to drown him in the Nile. 
She puts him in a basket, saves his life. Then there's the princess, right, Pharaoh's daughter from his first marriage. And uh, she sees him and has empathy for him and, and compassion for him. And so she allows him to live and, and not die like the Pharaoh said uh, we were supposed to do with all the male children that were born. And then Zipporah, who saves uh, Moses' life this third time, uh, really by uh, circumcising their son. And so we pick up the story this morning in uh, Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. And just let me read uh, the first few verses. Uh, This is kind of interesting, and I think very easy for us to identify with Moses in these couple of uh, chapters here. Uh, Moses was keeping uh, the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Remember, he married into this family, and it just so happened that uh, he was a priest of Midian. And uh, he led his flocks to the west side of the wilderness, came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Remember the burning bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, you know, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush isn't burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, don't come near, take off your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, "Uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And uh, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and uh, I know they're suffering, and I, I, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and all the other termites that were living there. And, uh, <clears throat> and so God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I've come down, right, to, to take care of this. And uh, then he says in verse 10, God is still talking. He says, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh. I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you can bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And God is like, uh, hey, Moses, I got this great servant leadership position for you. You know, I've got this great opportunity for you. And, uh, you know, it's almost like God did a bait and switch here. In verse 8, it's like God says, I've come down to deliver the people. I'm here. And then in verse 10, he's going to Moses, okay, you are going to go and you're going to get my people out of Egypt. And I want to say, well, like, what's, which, which is it? Are you going to do it, God, or am I going to do it? Because, you know, I already tried. Remember when I, you know, killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand? It didn't go so well. It didn't go like I planned. I already gave it a shot. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's interesting here. I think it was D.L. Moody who said, listen, pray as if everything depends on God, because it does. And then work as if everything depends on you, because it does. It's not either or. It's both and. It's a relationship with God. And we're in it together. And um, I think, you know, this carries over into the New Testament um, in um, uh, the book of uh, Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 12. uh, Paul is writing to the church there and he says to the church, hey, you people, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God gave you this gift of salvation. It's a wonderful gift. Now you work it out. And then he says, for it's God who is at work in your life. And I want to know, like, well, wait a minute. Which one is it? Is it me? I have to work out my salvation? And what does that mean? Or is it God who's at work in my life, and I just have to sit back and coast, and God's going to do it all for me? Well, it's neither either or. It's both and. It's a relationship that God has called us into, you know, with himself. And that's what he's done here uh, with Moses. And it's uh, kind of an interesting uh, concept here. So Moses is 80 years old at this point, right? He's 80 years old. And look what he says to God. God says, Moses, I got this great servant leadership position for you. And so Moses says in the next verse, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go and deliver the people of God out of Egypt? Who am I? You know, I already gave that a shot. Remember, it didn't really go so well. And uh, we saw that one of the attitude adjustments of Moses out in the wilderness when he was wandering around in the desert uh, was that he developed a a meekness, a humbleness. And we said that, you know, uh, humility is strength under control. It doesn't mean weakness. Meekness means strength, but under control. Like humility is strength under control. And so when Moses says, you know, who am I? Who am I? that I should go and do that. Now, maybe you can identify with Moses here, right? Maybe you had a dream from God, maybe when you were a kid, a teenager or something, something like Moses. Uh, Maybe you have a passion to do something for God before you die. You know, maybe God has laid it on you, something that really bothers you, something you're passionate about, uh, and God sort of put a vision or a dream into your mind. And maybe you even took a stab at it like Moses, But it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out, like it didn't work out for Moses. And uh, you gave it a shot, but people didn't understand, you know. And and now you've got a spouse, and now you've got a couple of kids, and now you've got a career. And and to be honest, you're like, uh, well, I'm content. I'm just going along, and I'm living my life, and I'm going to work, and I'm making a buck, and I'm going to sleep at night, and I'm going out to eat once in a while, and I'm just content with my life. And all of a sudden... You have a, like a burning bush experience, and God like taps you on the shoulder, and he resurfaces that dream that he gave you when you were back, when you were young and you were optimistic, you know? And you're starting to think about it. You're watching the news, and you're seeing what's going on in our world, or you're reading the local newspaper here in Ridgefield or whatever, or you're talking to people, and you're thinking, you know, I know the answer to that problem. I know the solution to that dilemma. I know the God of the universe. You know, and maybe you can identify with Moses here, you know, uh, but now you've got, you know, a wife and kids and you're kind of settled and you're kind of content and you've lived a while and you know better that if you're going to get involved for God, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to sacrifice to make it happen. And you know that, right? And so um, you, you, you kind of ask God the same question, who am I? that I should go teach a Sunday school class to kids? Who am I that I should reach out and build a relationship with a teenager who seems kind of lost in my neighborhood? Who am I 
that I should be an elder in the church. You know? Who am I that I should take my little stash of money and donate it someplace so that the, the ministry that I'm involved with could hire more staff and grow and, and, and reach more people for Jesus? And I'm right with you. I mean, I don't know how many times over the years I've asked, who am I that I should be a pastor? Then I found out the word just means servant, and then I was more comfortable with it. But haven't you ever said that? Who am I, God, that I should... You're putting this dream in my mind, and who am I to do this? Now, I love the answer. I've come back to this passage uh, often through the years. So... um, Moses in in verse uh, 11 says, you know, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, I, God, will be with you. It really doesn't matter who you are. I, God, the three times holy God, holy, holy, holy. I, God, with all my power and all my knowledge and all my strength, I'll be with you. It really doesn't matter who you are. Isn't that a great answer? Moses is like, well, who am I? And God's like, it really doesn't matter who you are. I'm going to be with you, me, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I'll be with you. The God of your fathers, the God who never dies, the God who can uh, have enough strength to fulfill every promise he's ever made, the God who never lies. Moses, I'll be with you. And, uh, you know, and then God goes on. He says, I won't only be with you. I'm going to give you a sign, Moses. Let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. Here's a sign that I have sent you. You'll know you're in my will, you know, because when you've brought the people out of it, if you go down to Egypt and you get all my people, you're going to be right back here at this mountain where I'm talking to you today. And sure enough, if you follow the story, he's right back at that mountain. He's got all the people. They're there for about a year, as best as I can figure. And it's when Moses gets the Ten Commandments from God. It's when Aaron makes the uh, golden calf. And all this stuff is happening. He's right back. Just what God is telling him ahead of time. Listen, this will be your future. And uh, so, you know, I'll be with you. It really doesn't matter who you are and so forth. And God says, you know, I'll be with you. And you'll be back at this mountain in the future. And you'll know you're in my will. And so... Next thing you know, uh, look at Moses. Moses says to God, next verse, uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, well, what's his name? You know, uh, Moses starts making excuses. In chapter 4 and verse 1, let's follow this. Here's Moses, right? Moses, God starts to talk to him. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answers God, um, First he says, you know, uh, who am I? And then second he says, uh, behold, when I go down there, they're not going to believe me or listen to my voice. They're going to say, the Lord didn't appear to you. He starts to think about, you know, what it would be like if I were to go and do what God's asking me to do. And he starts making excuses. He says, number one, they're not going to listen to me. Uh, Down in verse 10, he starts and Moses says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent, and uh, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Like, I, I'm not a good speaker. I, I don't know. I'm not eloquent. You know, I can't do this. And uh, the last part of verse 10 says, uh, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I, I'm not good on my feet. 
I can't think quick on my feet. I'm slow of speech. I have to figure it all out ahead of time. Yada, yada, Moses, knock it off, you know? So the Lord says to him, now listen, this is a very difficult passage for uh, lots of us to digest. The Lord says to him, look, who made man's mouth? Okay? And who makes him mute or deaf? Who's behind that? Or seeing or blind. Remember the man that was born blind in the New Testament that Jesus healed and the disciples were like, who sinned that this guy was born blind? And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. This was part of my plan from the beginning to reveal myself and my power and my miracles and so forth. Who makes a man, you know, mute, deaf, blind, or seeing? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I'll be with your mouth. <laughs> I'll be with your mouth, Moses. Don't worry about it. And I'll teach you what you should say. But Moses still isn't done. Next verse. Uh, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. I just don't want to do it, is what Moses is saying, right? Send somebody else. Well, look at this. Uh, In our worship time this morning, somebody read the passage, and it's many places in the scriptures, about how God is slow to anger. Now, God's been patient with Moses, putting up with all this, you know, excuses and so forth. But the next verse, verse 14 of chapter 4 says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God's like, enough. Stop with the excuses. I'll be with you. I put the dream in your heart. You can do this. I'll help you. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron your brother? So God says, what about your brother? Now, I think this is plan B for God. I think he had a plan A for Moses' life, and Moses fusses and you know, complains and gives all this nonsense excuses and so forth. And finally, God's like, all right, plan B. Here's plan B. We'll include your brother, Aaron. Okay, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, God says. Behold, he's coming out to meet you anyway. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You will speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for the... Uh, for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. And listen, and you, Moses, shall be as God to him. I'm going to talk to you, plan A, and you're going to tell Aaron, plan B, and Aaron's going to tell Pharaoh and the people. And uh, take in your hand this staff with which you shall do signs. So uh, this is what happens. And uh, I think, you know, in verses 14 uh, all the way to 17 here, uh, God is saying, uh, we're, we're going to go with plan B. We'll, we'll include Aaron. Now, that was a pain in the neck, right, for Moses? Aaron's the guy who made the golden calf. What a pain that was. Aaron's the guy who teamed up with his sister and criticized Moses' leadership, you remember? You know? And so I think God had a plan A, and if we fuss too much, he'll give us plan B, and if we keep fussing, there's probably a plan C and D and E and F, but you know what? Eventually, you lose out on God's best for your life. We just lose out. And so I think uh, we can take away from Moses at this point uh, that if we are going to be servant leaders, humility is a key attitude, and Moses spent a third of his life kind of learning that humility or meekness, uh, if you will, Uh, But I want to suggest to you this morning that humility is only half 
of the story. The other half of being a servant leader is having confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he does. Humility, sometimes we hide behind it thinking, oh, I'm so humble, I, I, I wouldn't even dare uh, take up a ministry and be responsible for it and all of that, uh, you know, because I'm just so humble. Well, that's initial, initially good, but uh, in the place, in, in the emptiness of that comes the person of God. And the other half is being aware and being convinced of who God really is, how strong he is, how knowledgeable he is, how sovereign he is, how involved God wants to be in our everyday lives. And so the next part of this is that God reveals himself to Moses. He says this, and in the process of revealing himself to Moses, he reveals himself to us. This is who I really am. And he's trying to have Moses gain some confidence as to uh, who God really is. And so he begins to reveal himself, to make himself known, And uh, it's really significant that we can know the truth about God because God reveals himself. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to say, well, I think God, you know, is X, Y, Z. No, we already know. We know because God has made himself known. And so uh, this is so important because ultimately, I think servant leadership is really uh, just about bringing glory to God. It's about praising God and bringing glory to God. Glory is just, you know, if you're going to glorify somebody, you just make them look good. That's what glory means. You make them look good, right? If you're going to glorify your spouse, well, you make them look good, right? If you're going to glorify God, you're in the middle of a world that doesn't glorify God, and we're going to point to him and point out how good he really is. That's why I love that song so much, the goodness of God. God is so, so good. And uh, it's so important for us to be able to do that. God is really good. In fact, um, uh, good, I would say, is what God is. How do we know what's good? Well, God is good, and good is what God is. Everything God is is what's good. How do we know what's good? Well, we only know it from God. I don't think you could have morality without God. Who defines what's right and wrong or good and bad other than God? Goodness comes from God. And so um, the, the 100th Psalm, you know, comes right out. says, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, right? Uh, his faithfulness to all generations. Uh, God really is the definition of good. And God alone is good. In um, the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus, you know, uh, the rich young man comes to Jesus. And uh, Jesus asks him, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus, why do you call me good, he says to this guy. Nobody is good except God alone. Are you recognizing, young man, that I am God? You know, nobody is good but God alone. In Isaiah chapter 5, we have this kind of warning, uh, and, and we live in a culture where it just seems to me like, you know, this is written to us from Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You ever sense that that's what's kind of going on here? You know, we're getting to a place in our culture where uh, good is evil and evil is good. Uh, Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe. Woe to those, you know, who are like that. 
and so on. And so, you know, uh, even when things are tough um, and bad and hard, uh, we still understand that God is good. Who hasn't gone to Romans 8.28 in the midst of whatever has happened in your life, gone to this passage of scripture where God says, for those who love God, okay, God is able to cause, listen, all things to work together for good. And good is anything that pushes us towards God, right? Now, it doesn't say that all things that happen are good, right? It just says God can cause all things that happen, even the bad things, to ultimately work together for our good. And who hasn't gone there? But, of course, you know, there's a problem. Um, Romans chapter 1 uh, says this, the wrath of God, the anger of God, which is slow in coming, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth about God can be known, but here's what ticks God off. When the unrighteousness of people suppress the truth about God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. This makes the whole world guilty, right? I mean, this is God's word, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And finally, if you, we can read the rest of it, but uh, through creation and so forth, God has made himself known. Uh, but we get all the way down to the end of this paragraph, and it says, well, these people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation instead of the creator. I think we have some of that going on in our world today, too. Worship and serve the creation instead of the creator. And uh, God's wrath is revealed against all of that. God is jealous for his glory. God is jealous about his goodness. Isaiah chapter 42 says, My glory, God says, I give to no other. God is jealous. Jealousy is just the fear of being replaced. God is jealous for his own glory that people would think something else is better than God himself, you know, who loves us and has all of these different uh, great characteristics. Um, You know what? I'm out of time. Uh, Let me just say real quickly, God reveals himself, and, and I could comment on all this. God reveals himself to Moses, first of all, through his word, right? God is a speaking God. Isn't it good that God's not silent? You can ask God questions, and he will answer through his word and through uh, his son, Jesus. Uh, Second, Moses is uh, exposed to who God really is uh, through God's name. It's very interesting here. He comes uh, in Exodus and tells Moses, you know, uh, this is his name. And he says, uh, if you go to Exodus Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2, He says, you know, when I spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he said, I didn't reveal my name. I just let him know Almighty God was talking to him, and I'm making these promises. But God's revelation of himself is progressive, you know. Uh, When we get to Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke like this, 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 and this. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Used to speak in dreams and used to speak this way and that way. But in these last days, he's spoken. His, his revelation of himself is progressive. So for us who live on this side of Jesus being here, we have the most exposure 
to who God really is and what he's like and, and what he's all about. Third, I would say that God reveals himself to Moses uh, by revealing the future through prophecy. You know, God says to Moses, now, nah, here's what you're going to do. Go down to Egypt, get all the leaders of Israel together, and go to Pharaoh and tell him this. But I'm telling you, Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. Like before it ever happens, God's like revealing. Prophecy. You and I uh, have such an advantage knowing what God says about the future. Knowing that God has revealed to us that Jesus is coming back and so forth. You know, this year is the 75th anniversary of uh, Israel in 1948 being founded again. I think uh, a miracle of biblical proportions happened in 1948 that is prophesied in the scriptures and, and we're witnessing, we're seeing, you know, and, and God takes a lot of pride in this. He says, you know what makes me different than every other God that people worship? I tell you the future before it happens. You, you can read it for yourself in Isaiah uh, 44. And then finally, I would say, or not finally, but God speaks. I, I don't know how I thought I was going to get through all this. Okay. <laughs> I think God reveals himself by revealing his power. You know, he goes down there to Egypt, and, and all the gods, you know, there's the 10, I think there's 11 with Passover, uh, 11 different signs that God shows the Egyptians, all of which counteract or show the superiority of God over their gods. And we could have a lot of fun going through that. And then one last thing, I think God reveals himself, which is very important to us, uh, through his patience with Moses. We went through some of that today. You know, uh, God is patient with us, uh, but there is the end of the rope. And uh, God became angry and uh, said, enough, Moses, let's get going, you know. And so, again, I think God had a plan A for Moses' life. He crabs and complains and fights with God and resists and all the rest. So plan B. It's not as good as plan A, and then I think there's probably a plan C, D, E, and, and for us as well. But we begin to lose God's best for us. And who doesn't want God's best for us? Well, uh, we've seen that Moses is a type of Jesus. He's a savior. God sent Moses to rescue his people from captivity, just like God sent Jesus in the fullness of time to rescue us from sin and from bondage, you know, uh, and to free us for eternal life. And uh, so Moses is kind of a type of Jesus, and um, he's a savior that was sent to rescue God's people. And uh, we see that for Moses, you know what? It involves some sacrifice, right? And uh, for Jesus, it involved a huge sacrifice. And we have the opportunity to remember that sacrifice this morning uh, through communion. And so I'd ask you to take out your communion elements and um, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made uh, in order to save us from sin and from eternal death. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the uh, church in Corinth, and he said, I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said... This is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. Just like Moses <clears throat> didn't really want to go to Egypt and do God's dream, Jesus didn't really want to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, praise, remember? 
please let this cup pass from me. Isn't there some other way? If there's some other way, but nevertheless, Jesus said, not my will is important here, but your will, Heavenly Father. And Jesus went to the cross. And so in the same way, Jesus took uh, the cup after that last supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new deal in my blood, okay? Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Never forget. Heavenly Father, we just invite you by the power of your spirit to impress upon us those things from the life of Moses that parallel the life of Jesus and help us, Heavenly Father, to recall uh, the sacrifice that you made, the broken body, the spilled blood, in order that we might enjoy the life that we have here today. Help us, Father, not to be like Moses and forget, you know, the kingdom of heaven by being so preoccupied with the kingdom of this world that we forget our identity as your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.